Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Wednesday, August 9th, and I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? Not too bad. A uh, couple of interesting symptoms popping up in the last couple weeks. Um, head focused on three weeks ahead as opposed to the next few days not really caring about any grades or other academic matters, also known as senioritis. How are you doing? Yeah, sounds like someone's winding down uh, another degree. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i doing well. We're right in the thick of kind of the school, elementary school summer, some might call it, right? July and August being the traditional summer. And it's crazy to believe that it's already starting to wind down, but I am in countdown mode as well. Not quite senioritis, but I got two trips coming up here at the end of August that I've been waiting eight months for, essentially. So I'm I'm super stoked. Uh, yeah. and, and it's gonna cap off a great summer. And when I'm when I'm back, we'll be right into the thick of the sports calendar. It's all moving very quickly. Any final notes before we get into it? I don't think so. I, Initial I just, notes. I will say I have 10% knowledge on sorts today, unless <laughs> you hit me with a crossover dribble. But uh, no, yeah, no. let's jump into it. All right. So I don't know if you've checked Instagram in the last week or two. This was the starter for me, the catalyst, if you will, um, to talk about this. But on my notifications, which are not showing very clearly on the screen, the second item down gives me a little infographic saying in response to Canadian legislation, news won't be available soon. When you click learn more, it takes you to a link that is a short four or five paragraphs explaining that because Canada has passed its online news act, um, content from global news outlets, including news publishers and broadcasters will not be available to people accessing Facebook and Instagram in Canada. There is a link to the bottom that lets you learn more about Meta's position, which we'll get into in a bit. Um, but this was a follow-up update um, beginning to make good on a promise or threat, depending how you choose to see it, that Meta made once said Online News Act, also known as Bill C-18, was passed by Canada's House of Commons. Um, Google has also made a statement um, basically saying that as soon as they are ex as soon as this law comes into enforcement, they will be basically doing the same thing as Meta. So oh, I know normally in the stores I just ramble for five to ten minutes, but I'll try and pace myself a little here and not just go completely off tangent, off topic, and leave out three crucial things before I get into it. Um what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, it's it's flabbergasting because I guess the intent of it is to make sure that there's a pure access to legitimate news, but it's a miscalculation on behalf of the government because no one gets their news from traditional news sources anymore. And they're basically turning off that funnel of information and... I'm just nervous and conscious of the fact that there's already so much of an echo chamber and so much information that gets spread to our less educated folks that live in this country, and it's only going to get perpetuated and 
added to the vicious cycle of information. And I'm frightened to see what kind of voice that creates in the internet ether. You've hit on something interesting there. Like there's such a, it's more US based, but like particularly after the 2016 uh, American election, there was so much talk about like Facebook misinformation. And now I'm curious as to what um, vacuum would be left there or whether mm -hmm. the content that we're discussing when we refer to that even would qualify under this bill. Because actually, Canadians will still have access to American news right. and uh, global <laughs> news, just no news published by Canada. Um, essentially, you can look at a legislative summary of this bill online which tells you the purpose, intention, a little, very little background information on why this bill was drafted and some of the needs it's seeking out to fulfill. Essentially, it's no secret that the news industry is in decline worldwide. And one of the main factors in that is the digitalization of the global economy. Um, simply put, like advertisers spend far more of their revenue on the digital square than on physical newspapers and even cable public broadcasting. Um, this bill is only really interested in the physical part of news um, because video actually sidesteps this with YouTube already having a backdoor or front door, depending how you want to see it, monetization. But essentially what the bill puts out is that so the news industry in Canada has declined so aggressively and all of that money has gone to this digital town square and the bill wants to rebalance that power and advertiser earnings and redirect more of it than is currently being directed um, back to news companies. So it sets out at the beginning a couple of definitions, a news company being something that operates in Canada and employs two or more journalists. We don't get paid, so we're safe. Um, and a digital intermediary as a company which acts as an intermediary and has a massive, massive scale of power. Um, so X, Twitter, whatever we're calling it, doesn't make enough money to be relevant. It's just Google and Meta that are relevant for this bill. It wants to redirect the money, like I said, the response from Meta and Google, it wasn't in that short response I shared, but in Meta's longer text, mm -hmm. and Google echoes something, it says that this bill creates a link tax. Every time someone clicks on a link, we are going to be forced to pay. This is antithetical to the free market and open flow of information, the era and principles of the internet of the age that we're supposed to be in and they basically refer to the bill as unworkable google goes on to describe how much um interest it has in contributing to local news scenes and lists a couple um, mm. operations it currently is going and saying those operations will cease as their contracts end it also says it has attempted to give feedback to find solutions and is committed to continuing to do that. So I would call Google lukewarm, at, whereas Meta is just kind of stone cold saying it, it's kind of funny. They say like, 
we don't want to like threaten or like do anything and then go to describe themselves as creating all this free mm -hmm. advertising being these big like beneficiaries of the news business in Canada and saying like kind of but we're doing this out of the goodness of our heart and like we don't have to do this and if you make it too cumbersome we will simply stop doing it because it was already a burden for us to do anyway and I guess that's a good segue to the first thing I wanted to point out which is like really tricky about this and that's yes Google and Meta have a ridiculous amount of advertising monopoly but like that's because they're ridiculous leviathan behemoth monopolies in their own right that do everything like the advertising budget they take in um doesn't actually like just correspond to the advertising budget that was lost from the news it's video it's sports it's Kijiji and marketplace ask it like there's so many different facets it's games it's memes uh, one thing that was kind of fun reading through the Facebook thing was like substitute memes for news because you can completely word for word still read it and like the logic mm -hmm. would still apply and that would be like a horrific statement on Meta's part um and then I don't know if you've heard Australia at all mm -hmm. mentioned in the discourse um because that's where it gets like one fold more interesting and in that Canada isn't the first country to try this no Australia tried something similar and went through something briefly similar in having the results pulled and news blocked though the amount of time that it was blocked for in Australia was like three days so I think by whatever extent meta has already started blocking news Canada has suffered worse for it though I think they've been a bit more targeted in what they choose to block and are trying to avoid the PR nightmares of like blocking information about local wildfires or amber alerts that they sort of went through last year two years ago excuse me and this is where I start to get more and more confused because there like there's no one-size-fits-all comprehensive guide I could find all of this information oh like I said I basically read through the bill and I can't find the part that refers to link taxes the bill seems to set out um conditions for bargaining between what it labels as news entities and the digital intermediaries or operators as it refers to them and that's more or less exactly what happened in Australia Australia set out that this bargaining had to happen Google said okay Meta said no Google made its bargains Australia pulled stuff some negotiations happened and finer details on the bill were tweaked and then Meta began bargaining um which brings me to the last thing on Meta's statement that her extended statement it is kind of a funny start it's at the bottom of the link if anyone clicks on the Instagram thing um here's how the bills or the Meta statement starts Meta's president of global affairs has been due to speak later today at a hearing of Canada's heritage committee entitled responsive companies and information technology sector to bill c18 this was an opportunity to present and discuss Meta's position in relation to Canada's Bill C-18. Late on Thursday, the committee notified Meta that the title of the hearing had changed to Tech Giant's current and ongoing use of intimidation and subversion tactics to evade regulation in Canada and across the world. 
Clearly, it would be a very difficult hearing to the one we were invited to. As such, we will no longer be attending the hearing. <laughs> um, so this is where I want to circle back to the thing about like, we're not being intimidating or uh, what was the term? Subversive. And then in like the third paragraph of the letter that was going to be read, they say, news publishers do find our services valuable. We estimate that Facebook sends registered news to, in Canada to more than 1.9 billion clicks in the 12 months to April 2020. This amounts to free marketing worth 230 million. So and the paragraph before that, the truth is our newsers don't come to us for news. They come to share the ups and downs, the things that make them happy and sad, that interest them and entertain them. Links to news stories are a tiny proportion of that, less than 3% of the content they see in their Facebook feed. So I I just love how they open this letter saying like, we didn't want to come because you were referring to us as like intimidating and subversive and then proceed to immediately like start making threats and being subversive like okay fine we'll pull this thing we're doing um the thing that i wanted to get to though is like several almost towards the end they say i've heard a lot about this debate and how this legislation is replicating what australia has done uh, first, the Australian code doesn't apply to Meta because we haven't been designated by the treasurer there. If we do end up being designated and forced to pay publishers, we will be facing the same difficult choice. And then just to go on about the link taxes. But more significantly, this legislation would make Canada the first democracy to put a price on free links to web pages, yada, yada. The thing where this really threw me and confused me, put me in the deep end and feel like I'm not entirely sure what I'm talking about is I can pull up seven different stories about meta negotiating with news publishers in Australia, which is more or less exactly what su was supposed to happen here. Yeah. So from what I understand, and this is going to be a first ever on this segment, I have the Canadian government as terribly stupid and meta and Google as stupidly terrible. There so you, you got go. a crossover action here. Canada's endgame, or the government's endgame here, is to put more money back in the pockets of their news. But the difference between Canada and Australia is the majority of news in Canada is funded by the government. Yeah, there's a whole other debate on CBC. whether CBC yeah. should but, be entitled to any money from this, but we'll bracket that. Yeah, that's its own thing. And the difference here with Australia is their endgame, at least the government's perspective, was to make money, but they are more beholden to the privatized news companies that operate in that country. So what happened is when Meta and Google faced these same restrictions, they cut out the government and brought the privatized companies to the table and they agreed on a payout there so that they could continue operating same as normal but these news companies now do get a cut they have that extra funding and so the government gets a win news gets a win and uh and meta and google obviously lose a bit of money but they get the win of being able to keep news in their feeds and getting that greater attention span from their users and it's such a crazy thing that Canada didn't see that and follow in the footsteps. And again, the difference is the key news corporations, or at least the key one, CBC, is funded by the government. And I don't know what the misconnection is in that sense, but 
yeah, it's just poor decision making. I mean, ratified by the entire House of Commons. So they obviously think they're doing the right thing. I am very worried about what this could spiral into in terms of the user base that's going to miss out on legitimate news. Yeah, and it it just it feels half-hearted it, it feels like there was this surprise pikachu face that the entire liberal government put on when meta and google did and have started doing exactly what they've said they will do throughout this entire process um it, it seems like this was rubber stamped a little and the last thing i wanted to touch on um thanks for reminding me is much like australia it is the big news corporations in canada the biggest um, shares of nationwide traffic who are lobbying and pushing and have been a big factor in the drafting, the motivation, and moving forward of this bill. Um, those news industries are without a doubt hurting and part of the groups doing layoffs. But the part that makes your heart wrench when you talk about it is the more ma and pop local news industry, the town paper, which like simply can't afford to employ four or five writers a crossword a deal with a printer the local route like these are the news industries that have really been gutted by the internet just because 30 years ago if you wanted the news and you lived in these towns you had no other choice but to subscribe subscribe to these papers and today there is a whole digital ecosystem accessible to you this bill does really little and less to nothing um, for those smaller, more local parts of the news business, which I think have been hurt the most over the last 30 years. But I completely agree with you about the stupid on the government's end and the terrible on the monopolistic tech giants using intimidation and subversion to intimidate Canada and try and make an example for the rest of the globe. So now that you've come to the sports podcast for news on news, <laughs> stay for Lele Annie Fernandez, Gabriel Ooh. Diallo, Felix Ojealiasim, Bianca Andreescu, Milo Sharaunich. Hell yeah. National Bank Open underway. Max, what do you got for us today? I was going to wrap up with the CanCon, but we can get into that right from the get-go. Layla up the first set, takes it in the deciding 11th, 12th games to get over Hadid Maya, who is no easy opponent. Uh, it's currently 1-1. Layla on serve up 30 love. Maybe we'll circle back to that one at the end of the pod. Um, on, I'm not sure how Bianca's doing so far. I don't know if you've got anything there. She gone. She gone. Okay. So she and Felix in the same category continues a rough year for Felix. Uh, he's yeah. been able to stay ranked top 10 off of the strength of a really strong fourth quarter of tennis, winning all those indoor European tournaments. Those points are going to come up for defense soon, which is a worrying trend with the way he's been playing. So we look ahead to next week's Cincinnati Masters and the US Open and hope to see more from him. Would also be great to see the presence of Denis Shapovalov there, who had to take this tournament off with the knee, and I suspect he'll do so as well for Cincinnati. Milos Raonic carrying the torch on the Canadian men's side into the third round, takes out Francis Tiafo, a top 10 opponent. No easy task in the first round. I heard 36 aces in that 
simply vintage. And then today gets through Taro Daniel much quicker, much easier, six, two sets. Um, yeah, he his serve has just been dominant. I actually have caught bits and pieces of both of these first two matches. And you forget, like, it's, I guess we're winding back the clock to the mid-2010s because his serve, when he's clicking, it makes his opponent look like they're not even trying. They just have to watch it sail by, and he's picking his spots. Um, not the highest conversion on following up that first serve, as you would expect for him as he gets deeper into this draw, hopefully. But the first serve, if they can't hit it, like it, it he's blowing it by people, and if they can make contact, he just has to be able to convert because he is basically automatic right now on his service so far. So in the fourth round or round of 16, he will be playing Mackenzie McDonald, who was able to upset Andre Rublev this round. So that probably a positive sign if you are a Raonic fan. Uh, another big upset today, Stefano Tsitsipas, who won the 250 event in Mexico last week, loses to Gaimolfi, who continues uh, a little resurgence after taking out Christopher Eubanks in a pretty back-and-forth thrilling first round. So Malfi also on to the fourth round. Who is he awaiting? He's awaiting the winner of Sebastian Korda, and I don't know this Australian player. He's a lucky loser, Vukic. Uh, so that's in the second quarter of the bracket. The, at the top quarter tonight, we're waiting for Carlos Alcaraz and Holger Rune to play their matches. If they both win, they will advance to the fourth round, where Alcaraz would play Hubert Hurkacz and Rune would play the winner of Tommy Paul Francis Serendulo. Don't sleep on that one either. If each of them win those, then we get a Alcaraz-Rune quarters, which is always an event. Uh, as I said, Malfi looking to prove his quarter's qualification ship against either quarter of Vukic, where the winner would face the next quarter, which could involve Milos Ranic if he's able to get past McDonald. Uh, and he, excuse me, that one wouldn't involve Ranic. Uh, this one would involve Max Purcell, who took out Felix, he'll be playing Andy Murray. Uh, that match actually underway. Murray up the first set. And then Yannick Sinner looking to wrap up Matteo Berrettini. He's up a set and a break as we speak. So Sinner versus Murray would certainly be a fun fourth round matchup. And winner of that would look to go to the Malfi. We're into the bottom half of the bracket now. As I said, Raonic will look to earn his quarterfinal matchup if he can get past Mackenzie McDonald. Sorry, getting past McDonald would earn the quarterfinal spot. The quarterfinal matchup would either be against Kasper Rud or Davidovich Fokina, who was able to take out Alex Severev in record time today. Then our bottom quarter of the draw, we've got Alex Alex Dimenauer, who went to the finals against uh, Stitsipas in Mexico. And he'll be taking on Taylor Fritz in that fourth round matchup. And the winner of that one will face the winner of Lorenzo Munsetti and Daniel Medvedev, who's still going strong as the bottom seed, uh, looking to win his first ever title for a second time. And he's ever, he's won 20 titles, though, and he's never mm. won the same one at an event twice. It's huh. kind of fascinating to see how long he can keep that going. 
That would be fun. It's uh, Alex the Manauer beating out uh, Canadian little little side story. Uh, Gabriel Diallo gets his first, I think, ATP 250 win uh, at this tournament, winning his first round matchup after playing into the tournament. and Like uh, his first ATP win? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And uh, just his interview was awesome mentioned that this is the best moment so far in his individual career obviously he was a part of the davis cup win last year but exciting that even more talent is starting to pick away at the door and i'd love to see multiple canadians four or five of them in the top 100 as we move forward yeah it it feels like the draw has just kind of gotten underway and there's almost no matchups from here on between players you haven't heard of it's a really deep the top portion of the tour competing and really looking forward to following up on some of these quarters semis and finals matchups as they go I know we must already be like halfway through the pod so let's keep it going uh on the basketball what's catching your eye this week yeah this past week one of the storylines standing out was the U.S. Select Team. So this is basically their practice squad filled with uh, younger up-and-coming players or uh, seasoned veterans to add to the team, like a Langston Galloway type. And apparently in two scrimmages played between the U.S. FIBA World Cup roster and the U.S. Select Team, the Select Team won both of those games, <laughs> uh, led by Cade Cunningham uh, and and just uh he was the most notable one that stood out but obviously Jalen Green also on that team as well and and a couple of other young and up and comers so USA a team that now doesn't necessarily send the top tier talent that exists in the NBA but still sends a tier players uh I think they're going to be in tough in this tournament as international basketball continues to grow and I mean, we got a taste of it today. Canada losing their exhibition friendly to Germany, 86-81, when everyone thought we were going to win, at least non-basketball fans thought we were going to win. These international teams and this international play is just very different, and you have to adapt to that style. And teams like Germany, teams like Lithuania, teams like Greece and Hungary and Spain, obviously, France, the top dogs are are going to punish you for mistakes that you make and, and your inability to adapt from the NBA game to the international game. So I'm very curious to see a USA FIBA roster that can't beat their select team currently, if it actually means they'll do better or worse in this tournament coming up in a couple of weeks. I can't think of the details off the top of my head, but I do remember something similar last Olympics where there were a couple of early performances from the U.S. team that made you think, like, maybe they got too cocky, maybe they didn't come into this ready, maybe this is a year where USA basketball just humiliates itself internationally and they ended up going for gold in the end. Um, so these stories have some truth to them, but also, and I think I can see as international basketball continues to rise, if there isn't an initiative on the u.s side to take things more seriously to have more prep time for players to get more familiar with the international style um that big embarrassment could come but i, I think it's also important to bear in mind that 
there is typically an adjustment period, some yep. improvement, and this small scale embarrassment usually gets this type of talent motivated enough to a level where they can compete at the top by the end of the tournament. I'm very curious to see who is going to be the top dog on this USA team because it was Kevin Durant last time and mm-hmm. he led them to a gold medal. And so I'm I'm curious to see who's going to step to the forefront on this team for this run. All right, moving along here, other big storylines. Anthony Davis and the Los Angeles Lakers agree to a three-year, $186 million max contract extension. So Max, that leads him into the 57 and 62 million dollar range by 26 27 season so we're now 14 million away from an 82 million dollar player one million dollars per game uh and this is just the the new peak of what players can make in this league and it's only going to further increase as we get the new tv deal coming in a couple of years uh it's a massive bag for davis um, you understand it from the Lakers' perspective. Again, you just have to lock up the asset and then go from there. But it's a shocking amount of money to give to a player who has been injured the last couple of seasons, yeah. although many will argue he's been available when it's mattered. So a player at his peak, deserving of max contract money, and we'll see how he's able to fare now that he's locked up for another five more years, uh, how he's, how he's going to perform year over year, and does he still have that same drive? I don't know if you know his age off the top of your head. It is interesting timing. Like they, the Lakers could have ridden this out, waited two more years, and decided to like see how this stood. They gamble, I guess, that signing him now means paying less per year than they would be if they signed him um, in those two years later. But as you said with the injury the health i I know everyone myself included has a somewhat short-term memory on the lakers after they turned it around at the trade deadline and that's influencing predictions and thoughts on how they'll perform this coming year um but i i guess at the end of the day your plan b your if all else fails is a player at this age at this level is tradable even on this max super max extended contract and they can get out of it if that's the direction the team goes over the next season or two. Yeah, it's just massive money and interesting to see where that's going to lead. And then the last storyline coming out today. That's my contribution. No. DeAndre Hunter, AJ Griffin, and draft compensation has been offered in recent days by the Atlanta Hawks for Pascal Siakam, who has made it known to teams that he wants to stay in Toronto, uh, which has really halted trade talks. I know there's offers out there that are being explored, but the Raptors keep upping ever every offer, as they should, that comes in from teams. And I think it's going to be unlikely that Siakam moves. Um, I don't hate a trade package centered around Hunter and Griffin, but the Atlanta draft compensation doesn't necessarily interest me with uh, with the new coach, Young and Murray being still pretty young, and, and Siakam also just being in the prime of his career currently. Like It's a team that just feels like they're going to sit middle of the playoff picture in the East for the next couple of seasons, and so I, I don't know if you want to bet on that if you're trying to get first-round picks. 
and I don't even know that they're offering first round picks. I saw it pointed yeah. out around NBA Reddit that like this story is almost definitely an Atlanta leak to try and pressure the Raptors. And that with that knowledge, the fact that they're saying draft compensation and not two first round picks, three first round picks tells you that the draft compensation in question is a little lacking. Um, I also saw it pointed out there, and I agree with this, that I don't know that DeAndre Hunter is a positive asset. Like, I, th I think the pros and cons make it pretty unclear on if you're actually getting value on that return or you're actually doing the Hawks a favor in taking that contract off their hands. And with such a murky player, like, AJ Griffin is great. He made us look silly last year for about five seconds but uh pascal siakam has made defenses look silly for the better part of the last three four years and that is just different ballparks and different stratospheres of value and as i've said at other times like i think it's really good when you have a superstar who wants to stay long term in your city especially when you're the only canadian team on the market and taxes and Canadian to US dollar exchange rate is a constant barrier to maintaining superstars. Um, so it, there's nothing enticing to me about this offer. And like, I'm not saying never on a Siakam trade, everyone has their price, but this one doesn't even begin to scratch at it for me. Yeah, you just you look at what happened with the Van Vliet situation. And is it worth it to move him at some point just cool. so you get value? I, I, I see it as differently. I I was not surprised when Van Fleet left. If Pascal Siakam signs a contract that's not with the Toronto Raptors, he's a snake after what he said. And unless he can like honestly and authentically show that he was working towards a deal and it's like some other team was just willing to give him more years, more value than the Raptors are willing, like he's a snake if he walks for less than sure that. but that, that's a possibility it is and... but I, I just i don't see it and i think van fleet was in a different situation like he it was very clear van fleet wanted his bag and like yeah. that's all this was about i think siakam's comments about wanting to stay in toronto on their own sent make it a different dynamic we shall see what rumors continue to trickle through, and I'm sure we will touch on it more as we head into September. Speaking of trades, we got a big one in the hockey world Man. that we had been waiting on for a while. Eric Carlson headed to the Pittsburgh Penguins to form a new core four under Kyle Dubas, but this time Miss him already. much older and, and similar salaries in terms of Carlson. Other significant pieces include Mike Hoffman headed to the Sharks along with Yan Ruda and a first-round pick of the Penguins, and Jeff Petrie and Casey DeSmith along the uh, among the assets headed to the Montreal Canadiens. DeSmith's a nice little pickup in that deal for Montreal to help facilitate um, this trade between the three teams. I already pointed out the Dubas connection with the core four. Uh, it it maxes out the offensive potential of the penguins and concerns me on if they'll be able to keep the puck out of their own net now with committing to tristan jari as the number one guy for the foreseeable future um and just really interesting to see how this is going to work out with carlson returning to the eastern conference it, it's just a fun team with a lot of firepower that didn't quite reach the top 
with a player or adding a player who's got a lot of firepower and wants to compete at the highest level. And just on that, I love this trade. Um, it, it, it's a bit ballsy. It, it's a bit reckless in terms of team composition. I think in terms of what they've given up, um, one first round pick, sure. You can manage that. It's top 10 protected. So if everything goes terribly, uh, there's still options. I think Grandland gone as well, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, there's some depth forward lost. Mike Hoffman has felt like a lottery swing. Every team that signed him really since he left the Onidua Senators, uh, he's never been able to quite get back to that production. So you lose the upshot there. But in terms of actual real value, you can mark down i don't think you're giving up too much you trade out petrie for carlson that's just an upgrade would have preferred to keep him but you're you're not giving up a depth at that position at least um so all in all i think it's a pretty great trade for the penguins as Mm. i said it's risky but there's no one or two trades one or two players pieces that can make the penguins a safe competitor like at this last lingering stages of a mm-hmm. dynasty like yep. you need a high variance strategy um so i love it yeah three more years to win a cup with this core and then you throw it all out the window and start fresh so yep. in that sense it definitely makes sense all right quick hitters to end the pod here Lionel messi seven goals in four games of <laughs> league uh cup play in the Kakaf oh, club championship uh, with Inner Miami, just seems like everyone is having the best time ever right now on that team. Uh, the U.S. women's national team eliminated as Americans f- find out what a millimeter is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the ball just crossing the line in Sweden, knocking out uh, the heavy, heavy favorites in the World Cup. So exciting time for women's soccer uh, to see who's going to win this one. In the baseball side of things, Blue Jays struggled to score last night against the Cleveland Guardians, but the story over the weekend was Davis Babe Schneider uh, getting nine hits, two home runs, the first player in MLB history to do that in their first career three games. So really, really cool moment for him, uh, and we'll likely see him back in the minors by next week because Mm -hmm. these things typically don't last very long. And then lastly, Jake Paul wins via unanimous decision over uh nate diaz i sort of knew this was happening and completely forgot obviously the fight uh, any jake paul fight is never going to live up to anyone's expectations of what a fight could be but it continues to run their machine and make them a ton of money it's interesting after a loss that he can still do that and that's really all i've got to say on that And this is really all we have to say on the podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Maybe not see you next week, but till next time, Sports Next Door signing out. You get to the station, there's this crazy sound. Hey, man, this ain't no fishing town.